You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. So if you would please open with me in your Bibles, we'll begin by reading our text, which comes from Romans chapter 8. And we'll read the first few verses. We're going to go through chapter 11 today, but we'll begin by reading the first four verses. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that it is living, that it is truth, and Lord, that we get to uh, consider how it applies to our lives and the difference that it makes. Lord, this morning I pray that truly we would see the glory of the gospel, our hearts would be stirred, our affections would be stirred towards you, Jesus, that we would understand how great you are, what a wonderful Savior you are, and what that means and how it changes our lives, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word drudgery? Like, yeah, that's right, outdoor service, and I'm starting with drudgery. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word drudgery? In case you're curious, drudgery is defined by the dictionary as dull, frustrating, tiresome work, uninspiring, menial labor. Have you ever had a job that felt like that, uninspiring, menial labor? Or maybe you felt that way in school. It just feels like drudgery, like you're tired, you're frustrated, you're putting in a ton of effort, but it feels like you're not getting anywhere. You're not making any progress. You know, drudgery, it's the reason why most people uh, never succeed in learning a second language. It's the reason why many of us fall short of meeting our New Year's resolutions, because we like the idea of doing things. It's just in the midst of them, sometimes it feels like drudgery, right? Like a lot of work and not a lot of progress, not a lot of payoff. And it reminds me of a a few years ago, several years ago now, I remember that a friend of mine got her first car, and it was a Honda Civic with a manual transmission. Now, she had never driven a manual transmission before that, but, you know, she understood, you know, the basics, right? You push in the clutch, put it in gear, let it out, and, and you should be good to go. And so I asked her after I saw her, it's like, so how's the new car? Are you loving it? And she was like, well, actually, no, I'm not loving it because it seems that something's not working right with it. Like, I don't know what the problem is. I feel like I'm doing everything right, but uh, I know like how a stick shift works in theory. But whenever I get in the car and I start to go anywhere, I just stall out like all the time. I'm just always stalling out. And even when I get going, I can never seem to pick up any speed or get any momentum. And she said, honestly, it's just so frustrating. I just want to cry. And so me and some friends were there and we said, okay, well, why don't you take us for a drive and we'll see, you know, maybe we can diagnose what the issue is. And so, so we all got in the car, right? Five of us, right? And so she starts up the car, puts it in first gear, and then she stalled it out like five times. And she literally started to cry right there. And, you know, we're all giving her advice, you know, which is just frustrating her all the more. Like, we're like, you got to give it more gas. You got to let the clutch out slower. And she's getting so frustrated. She starts to cry. And it was around that time that someone else in the car said, hey, are you going to take your parking brake off? Because that might help. See, she had been driving this whole time with the parking brake on. And of course, she could never get any momentum. Of course, she was always stalling out. And even when she did get going, it felt like drudgery to drive that car. She could never get any momentum. And for some people, maybe that's how you feel when it comes to Christianity. You're trying to follow Jesus. You're doing your best. You feel like you're doing all the right things, but you just feel like you keep stalling out. 
Like you're not making any progress. And sometimes it feels like dull, frustrating, tiresome work and uninspiring, menial labor, drudgery. Well, that's exactly how Paul the Apostle felt when he was writing Romans chapter 7. That We've been studying through the letter to the Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans, on Sunday mornings here at Whitefields. And last Sunday, we studied Romans chapter 7. And chapter 7 is when Paul talks about his struggle with sin, his ongoing struggle with the way that he knows that he should be and the way that he actually is, right? The way that he wants to be, but the way that he ends up living. And he says, I, I feel like I'm just stuck. I'm not making progress. I want to please God. I want to do the right thing, but I just keep falling and messing up and failing and, and falling back into the same old things. And maybe some of you can relate to that. Some of you, Christianity feels like drudgery, like driving a car with the parking brake pulled, like you just keep stalling out and you're not getting anywhere. Well, here in Romans chapter 8, we are given a principle, which if you latch on to it, it will transform your experience of Christianity. It will transform it from a drudgery into a joy. This principle is found in verse 1, but it's repeated five times in just these first 11 verses. Five times in 11 verses. And that is this phrase, in Christ. So we're going to talk about what that means. What does it mean to be in Christ? And notice, this is what verse 1 says. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to talk about what that means and why it's so important, and what a difference it makes. So three big things that this section deals with. Here's your outline. Number one, why is the gospel such good news? That's what we're going to talk about first. Why is the gospel such good news? Number two, what difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? So what difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? And third, we're going to talk about the caveat. There's a caveat here, and we're going to talk about what that is before we're done. So number one, why is the gospel such good news? So the word gospel literally means good news. But it doesn't just mean like good news in a general sense. It means a proclamation of something good that has been done. Something that you're just reporting the news. Hey, here's the news. Here's what happened. It's a proclamation of something that has happened, something that has been done, something that has taken place and been accomplished. In verse 3, it's stated very clearly. I love what it says. For God has done what we could not do. That's the gospel. God has done what we could not do because of our weakness. See, this is why the gospel is such good news, because it's the message that God has come and he has done something for you, which you are unable to do for yourself. Look at what it says there in the rest of verse three. For God has done uh, what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What, what's he talking about here? The law refers to God's standard of right and wrong, right? God's standard of right and wrong. Now, many of the people, many people in the world today have this assumption. The assumption is that God will accept me because I'm a pretty good person. I mean, sure, I'm not perfect because nobody's perfect, but hey, I do my best and therefore God will see that and he'll accept me. The problem is, and that's what we've seen here in the book of Romans, is that God has a perfect standard and we have fallen short of that standard. None of us have lived up to God's standards. And if we're honest, we have to admit that not only have we not lived up to God's standards, we haven't even lived up to our own standards. Like if we were to list out like what do we think is the way that somebody should live? What are the standards of right and wrong? What we would find is that we haven't even lived up to our own standards, much less God's standards. And so if we want to come to God based on our own merits, based on our own record, we will always come up short. See, there's a gap between who you are and who you know that you should be. There's a gap. You might even call it a chasm between you and God, between the you that you know that you should be, that God wants you to be, and the you who you actually are in practice. 
And the more you think about it, the more you realize how wide and how deep this chasm is between you and God. And maybe you've been to the Royal Gorge here in Colorado, or maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a big uh, long jumper, but some people are really good at jumping, right? Like they can jump really far. Well, maybe you can jump really far. Maybe you, you're a great jumper. Maybe you can jump farther than anybody that you know. Maybe you even hold the school record for jumping farther than anybody in your school has ever jumped. Now, maybe you're the best jumper in the world, but nobody's able to jump that far, right? Like you may be able to jump farther than other people, but that chasm is too big. You're not going to be able to jump across that thing. Now, here's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that what you could not do, God has done for you. That's the good news. What you could not do, God has done for you. He bridged the gap. He spanned the gap. He himself, he became the bridge which spans the gap so that you could be united with him. Now check out what it says from verse 3 into verse 4. For God has done what the law could not do by sending his son. That's how he did it. He sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Do you catch that phrase? In us. These two phrases are absolutely key here in Romans chapter 8. Number one, the phrase in Christ, and number two, the phrase in us. So in Christ and in us. If we are in Christ, then the righteous requirements of the law have been fulfilled in us. Notice that it doesn't say that God's righteous requirements have been fulfilled by us. No, it says that they've been fulfilled in us. See, we, each of us, we have fallen short of God's righteous requirement. But Jesus, he came and he fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements. And and he took his record, his achievements, his right standing with God, and he gave it to us as a gift. That is the gospel. So imagine like a report card or, or like if you took a big test in school. And you and me, right, we take that test or we get our report card and we get a failing grade. But Jesus, he takes that test, he gets a report card, and it's a perfect score. And so what he does essentially is he takes your test or your report card, and then he takes his own, and he scratches out the names on both of them, and he switches the names. He hands you back his perfect score, and he takes your failing score. And all the repercussions of, his, of your failing score, he says, I'll take them all on myself, whatever they may be. And you get to experience all the benefits of his perfect score. You get to enjoy those. And so... When God looks at you, this is the cool thing about the gospel. When God looks at you, he sees that perfect report card. He sees Jesus' performance and not yours. And his performance, his record, is perfect. So we read in verse 1, There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. That word condemnation is a legal term. So come with me in your minds, if you will. Let's imagine a court scene, a legal scene. Now, we've all seen lots of movies and TV, like we've watched Law and Order and we've watched John Grisham movies, right? And so we we know what a court scene is like. But here's the difference. In this court scene, you're not just an outside observer you're actually the one who's on trial, right? Like you're the one who has been charged with a crime. And so, so the prosecutor brings the charge, you broke the law. You failed to live up to this perfect standard. You did things that you shouldn't have done, and there are other things that you should have done, and you knew you should have done them, but you didn't do them anyway. So what's your defense? You say, well, okay, I've got a great defense. Here's my defense. Well, first of all, I'm a really decent person. Like I'm a pretty nice person. I, I do a lot of great things. I have a great heart, and I help people. 
Now you can hear as you say that, the, the people in the courtroom start to kind of chuckle a little bit as you say that. But the judge, you know, he's nice and he's patient and he doesn't laugh at you. He just says, hey, look, I mean, we're dealing with the law here. I mean, uh, you might be a nice person. You might have a great heart. But the fact is that you broke the law. That's what we're here to talk about today. And you say, okay, well, okay, well, I've got another defense. You know, there are a lot of other people out there who are a lot worse than me, right? Like, they've done worse things than I have. I haven't done that many bad things. And the judge says, yeah, well, those people are guilty too, and so are you. And you're like, oh, dang, well, that was all I had. I mean, I had those two points, and that's it. Well, I guess just let me have it. Just tell me what you're going to do to me. And it's right about that point that your defense attorney steps up to you and says, whispers in your ear, hey, maybe you should let me do the talking right now. I think I'm going to take over. And you say, all right, well, whatever, because I got nothing. And so your defense attorney stands up and he asks to approach the bench. And as he goes up to the bench, he says, hey, dad, you know, and you're like, what, dad? This is like nepotism or something. Like the judge is his dad. And your defense attorney says, look, obviously my client is guilty. Um, but if it's okay with you, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to do a little trade, like a swap, right? Like I'll trade places with him. He can take my place as a not guilty person and I'll take his place as a guilty person and, and I'll just take the judgment that you were going to give him. And the judge says, done, slams down the gavel, done. See, that's what it means to be justified. This word justified, also a legal term. It means a pronouncement of righteousness, a pronouncement that you are no longer condemned because of what Jesus did for you, because he took it on your behalf. He fulfilled all of God's righteous requirements, the only person in history to ever do so, and he gives that record to you as a gift. And so when God logs into his computer, right, and pulls up your account, your record, it says, paid in full. When he pulls up your record on his computer, right, it says, perfect record. Did you do that? No, you didn't do that. Jesus did that, and he gave it to you as a gift. And so what that means is that the righteous requirements of the law, they haven't been fulfilled by you, but they've been fulfilled by Jesus in you. They've been fulfilled in you. And so if you are in Christ, verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that phrase, in Christ, here's what it means. It means two things. He is in you, and you are in him. So you are in him, and he is in you. They're two sides of the same coin. Now, if you put your faith in Jesus, here's the incredible thing. Try and wrap your minds around this. He now dwells within you. Look at verse 10. It actually says that. It says, but if Christ is in you, then although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But here's the cool thing. Not only is Christ in you, but you are in him. What, what does that even mean? Like, what does it mean? Well, check out, I like how it says it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. It says this, For you have died, and now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. So here's what that means. It means that when you become a Christian, you get a new start, right? Like, the old you is as good as dead, and the new you is hidden in Christ. Well, you say, well, why, why is that good? Why do I need to be hidden in Christ? And here's why. Because when God looks at you, if you are in Christ, he doesn't see you and your flaws. He sees Jesus and his perfection because you are hidden in Christ. Now think about it like this. Some of you are here this morning, and before you got here, you did some things that you shouldn't have done. You, you know what I'm talking about. You did some things that you shouldn't have done. Some of you, you stopped off for donuts. They have drive through donuts now. Can you believe that? Like, that's the last thing we need. Okay, so some of you stopped, and you, you got donuts. 
Do you know what are in those things? Like nothing good. Others of you, you went to McDonald's. I know you don't have to raise your hand. Just keep it to yourself. We don't want to know. Some of you went beyond that, and you just stuffed your face full of breakfast burritos. Do you know what's in those things? I mean, come on, nothing good. Carbohydrates, added sugar, high fructose corn syrup, gluten. You know what that is? Gluten? I don't know, but it's really bad. Processed meats, nitrates. I'm not sure what they are, but I don't want them. Empty calories. Also, most of you, I see you doing it right now. You consumed some sort of stimulant this morning, right? Coffee, tea, and you can't even drink it by itself. You got to put something in it. You got to put in that like fake cream stuff. That's not good. You put in sugar. Sugar's a poison. Haven't you been watching Netflix? Right? Like, do you know how bad this stuff is? It is sinfully bad. That's how bad it is. I'm upset just thinking about it. But you know what? As I stand here right now and I look at you, I don't see any of those things. I don't. I don't see any of them. Those things that I hate, that I don't even want to think about. I don't see it as I look at you right now. You know why? Because they're hidden in you. They're deep down inside. They are buried in you. And so when I look at you, I don't see those terrible things that you've done this morning. You know what I see? Just a bunch of beautiful people with beautiful smiling faces looking right back at me. See, that's what it means in a way. That's a faint picture of what it means to be in Christ. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He doesn't see your shortcomings. He doesn't see your past mistakes. When God looks at you, he sees his son in whom he is well pleased, and he is pleased in you because you are hidden in him. Do you remember what God said at the baptism of Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've remembered this story. You remember Jesus goes down to the Jordan River. John the Baptist baptized him. It says that a voice spoke, and God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. How does God feel about his son? He is well pleased in him. And so what that means is that if you are in him, when God looks at you, he isn't annoyed. He he isn't disappointed. He isn't ticked off. He is well pleased in you because when he sees you, he sees you in Christ. He sees the beauty, the perfection of his son who fulfilled all of the righteous requirements And he says, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Did you earn that? Did you deserve that? No. It's God's gift to you. That's what we mean when we use this word grace. That's grace. See, it's why the gospel is such good news. It's the message that God did for you what you could not do for yourself. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law in you. Not by you, in you. So, okay, let's move on to our next point. What difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? What difference does it make in your life if you believe the gospel? I have three things. Number one, the gospel changes your past. Actually, this is our text. Verses one through four talks about how the gospel changes your past. Romans chapter eight, one through four is all about how the gospel changes your past. See, because Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements on your behalf and you are justified before God, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what that means is that you can let go of your past. Maybe there are things in your past that you are ashamed of, that you feel guilty about. Here's what you need to know. Jesus died for those sins, and as he died, he declared, it is finished. It's finished. You don't have to continue living in that way where your past is haunting you. You don't have to live with a constant sense of guilt and shame. You don't have to feel that you are less than because of things that you've done in the past. Your sins have been dealt with, 
They've been paid for in full, and it is finished. And what that means is that God is not going to hold those things over your head. He's not going to throw them in your face. It's done, and it's over. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But here, you know what else this means? It means that even if I struggle, even if you struggle here and now, even if you fall sometimes back into those old habits that you want so badly to put behind you, Sometimes, though, you know, you fall back into the old patterns and behaviors. It means there is no condemnation for you either, for you who struggle if you are in Christ. Now, that's a radical truth, but remember, that's the context that Paul says this in. Remember, he was talking about in chapter 7, his struggle with hating the fact that he keeps falling back into those old ways, and yet he keeps doing it despite the fact that he hates it, and he speaks into that situation right now, and he says, Even you who struggle, know this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He says, verse 2, because the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Now you might ask the question, many people do. If there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, well then what motivation will we have to try to live in a way that's pleasing to God? What motivation will we have to try and overcome sin and, and live a better life and live the life that God wants us to? Well, let me ask you this. What do you think is a greater motivation, fear or love? What causes people to do the craziest things that they would never do otherwise, fear or love? Love is the greater motivator. Which is the greater motivator, laws or relationships? Laws or relationships, the greater motivators, obviously, relationships. See, I have a relationship with my wife. If I sin against my wife, if I hurt her with my words or with my actions, I probably haven't broken any laws, right? So there's no legal repercussions. I'm not going to go to jail, nor will I cease to be her husband if I hurt her. Uh, You know, the law doesn't come into the matter at all. See, it's a matter of relationship. If I've sinned against my wife, I haven't necessarily broken the law. But what I have done is I've done something that's ultimately worse. What I've done is I've hurt this person whom I love. And so I might feel ashamed and I might feel disappointed, but the one thing I don't feel is condemned. Why? Because the law doesn't even come into play. I've sinned apart from the law. And see, that's what it means for us who are in Christ. If we sin, we're not condemned. He doesn't cut us off. He doesn't cast us away. We don't lose our salvation or our standing before God. Now we still feel devastated because we have hurt the one we love the one who has loved us, the one who has done so much for us. It brings us pain, it brings us sorrow, but what it doesn't bring us is condemnation. See, love is a greater motivator than fear. Relationship is a greater motivator than the law. And we have the greatest love the world has ever known in Christ Jesus. Number two, the gospel. What difference does it make? Here's what it does. It transforms your present. So it changes your past and it transforms your present. So one of my first jobs, I worked at a snowboard shop. I was going to tell you which one, but I thought this might go on the radio, so I don't want to give them any bad press. Okay, so I love that job, but it was a seasonal job. You don't sell snowboards in the summer. And so this company, right, in the off season, they sold patio furniture. And so in the winters, worked at the snowboard shop. And, uh, and in the summers, I would transition, I would work in their warehouse, and our job was to assemble and deliver patio furniture to the customers. So in this warehouse, uh, they had these, you know, tall stacking shelves. You ever been in a warehouse? You know what it's like. And, uh, and when you needed to get something from the top, you had to call over one of the forklift drivers, right? The forklift operators. Well, one day, we're shorthanded, right? And you see where this is going, right? And so this guy, it's me and this other guy, and we are assembling furniture, and we need some stuff from the top shelf. And so 
we go to the boss and we say, hey, um, we need some stuff from up there, but there's nobody to drive the forklift. And he goes, you guys know how to drive the forklift, right? And I was like, um, yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. So I was uh, 17 years old, and I did not know how to drive a forklift. The guy I was with, he was 19. He didn't even own a car like this guy, you know. Um, but we just kept that information to ourselves because we thought, this would be fun. I mean, it's going to be super fun to drive a forklift, right? Well, for the next couple of hours, we just fumbled around trying to figure out how to operate this forklift. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's got this wheel. Like, I don't even, why? Did, why? why do you steer it with that little wheel? And it, it was kind of fun, but it wasn't as much fun as we expected it to be. Overall, it was mostly frustrating, and we didn't make a lot of progress, right? It was that word again, drudgery. And I wonder if sometimes that's how some of us feel when it comes to Christianity. It's like someone tossed us the keys to the Christian life, and we're all excited, and we hop in the seat, right? Uh, but unless we have someone to help us and show us and, and help us along the way, then all we're going to do is struggle and not make very much progress. It'll feel like drudgery, just an exercise in frustration. We need some help. We need a helper. And here's the good news. God has given us the ultimate helper to help us in this way of life that he has called us to. God has given us his Holy Spirit, his spirit, the spirit of life. Look at what it says in verses 8 and 9. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. In other words, the Holy Spirit enables you to live a life that is pleasing to God. The Holy Spirit enables you to do what God has called you to do. You cannot do it on your own. But if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit will enable you and empower you to live this life that God has called you to live, a life of pleasing Him according to His will. So the question then becomes, how do you get that Holy Spirit inside of you? And the answer is by believing the gospel. Check out what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. You, when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So this is what is, it's part of what it means to be a Christian. Not only are you in Christ, but the Holy Spirit is in you. What does the Holy Spirit do in you? Well, I'll just give you a quick survey. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit uh, guides you and leads you in God's will. The Holy Spirit reminds you of God's word. And the Holy Spirit enables you to live the life that God has called you to live. And here's what it says in verses 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. See, all of us at any given moment are setting our minds on something. All of us are tuning in to something. So whatever you set your mind on, that's what you're tuning into. If you're, you're tuned into yourself and, and your feelings and the way you feel, then it will lead to death. But if you're tuning into the Spirit and the way of the Spirit, it will lead to life. Notice what it says in verse 7, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. But if instead you're tuned into what the Holy Spirit is saying, then it leads to life and peace. You can think about it this way. You know those old radios, like the kind with the antennas? Like, I don't even own one anymore. I, I sometimes want to listen to, like, sports games on the radio. I don't even own one. I only have one in my car. But so here's the crazy thing about those radios. What it means is that there are literally, like, waves, invisible waves, 
all over right now. You just can't see them and you can't feel them. There are waves all throughout the air. You can't see them, you can't feel them, but if you have one of those devices, you can actually tune into them and you can get the message. And that's what it's like here. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. He wants to lead you in God's ways. And the question is, are you tuning in? Are you in tune and listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you and wants to lead you in? Or instead, are you just tuned into yourself, how, how you feel or how you think? The one leads to death. The life in the Spirit, though, leads to life and peace. So the gospel not only changes your legal status, but it transforms your life here and now. Rather than a life of drudgery, you get to live this life with this new power, the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you and leading you in life and peace. And that brings us to our final point, and this is our last one. The gospel alters your future. Look at verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give your mortal bodies life through his spirit who dwells in you. This is the promise ultimately of the gospel, that this life is not all that there is, but if the Holy Spirit is in you, just as he raised Christ from the dead, so he will raise you from death to eternal life. This is the glorious hope that we have as Christians, that this life is not all there is, but then one day all that is wrong will be undone. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more tears, Nothing of that nature forever. And we will be with God and things will be the way which we all sense deep down inside that they ought to be. And that brings us to our third and final point, which is the caveat. So we've talked about why the gospel is good news. We've talked about the difference that it makes in your life. Now let's talk about the caveat. Now you all know what a caveat is, right? Like it's a stipulation or a condition. It's like when you read an advertisement and there's a little asterisk right? And so you have to go read the small print. Or you, you hear an advertisement on the radio, and it promises something great, but then it says certain conditions may apply. Like, I remember one time I was up in Breckenridge, and we, you know, talked to these people about this timeshare, and they were like, hey, we're going to put you up, upgrade you. You're going to be in this awesome timeshare. Some conditions may apply. And I found out those conditions are you had to make $80,000 a year, I did not meet those conditions, and so I didn't get upgraded. So, uh, you know, it's this kind of promise, but it's got a caveat to it. There, there's a caveat. There's a stipulation. Here in Romans chapter 8, we read all of these great promises. No condemnation. Your life is hidden in Christ. God places his spirit inside of you to empower you to live a new life. You get the gift of eternal life. But wait, there's a caveat. It's not a secret. It's actually told to us right here in the text. Here's the caveat. Those promises don't just belong to anybody anywhere ever, right? Like they, they belong to certain people. There are certain stipulations. In order for those promises to apply to you, here's the caveat. You have to be in Christ. And so how do you get in Christ? Here's how. By putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. In his life, he met the righteous requirements of God so that he could give those to you. In his death, he took the judgment that you deserved for your sins. And in his resurrection, he made a way for you to have eternal life. In order for you to take hold of those incredible promises, you have to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. You need to accept that gift. I'll tell you one last story and then we're done. And I'll imagine, Mike, right? He's our, he's our worship leader, did a great job. And now imagine if I invite Mike out for dinner. I just want to show him how much I appreciate him, how much I, how much I like him. And so we go out to dinner. It's a nice place. We have a great time, right? Like we, we don't hold anything back, right? We get drinks. 
hors d'oeuvres, appetizers, desserts. We go all out. It's my treat, right? I, I just want to bless him. But at the end of the meal, the waiter comes and he brings the bill. And then Mike reaches out and grabs the bill. And I'm like, what are you doing? I invited you. Give me that bill. And he says, no, I don't take charity. I don't let anybody do anything for me. I'm my own man. I do it myself. I pay my own bills. And so we get in a fight right there in the restaurant. It's really ugly. But of course, he's, he's stronger than I am. And he finally wins out. And, and uh, you know, he takes the bill and he takes his card and he hands it to the waiter. And the waiter disappears and runs the card. And, and the, but the screen flashes, insufficient funds insufficient funds. And the waiter comes back and says, I'm sorry, sir, um, but you have insufficient funds. This isn't going to work. Mike says, no problem. I've got other cards. So he starts handing him the other cards. And one after the other, they run the cards. Insufficient funds. Insufficient funds. And he's like, I, I don't know. I guess I'm out of cards. I'm like, just let me pay the bill, man. I've got it. I, I can handle this. I prepared for this. And he's like, no, I don't take charity. I don't let anybody do this for me. I do things my way. I'm like, all right. And then after a while, the police show up and they arrest Mike for insufficient funds, and they put handcuffs on him, and they lead him away to prison where they execute him for insufficient funds. That's a sad story, right? But that's exactly what some people are doing when it comes to God, right? Like rather than simply accepting the gift of his grace, rather than simply accepting what he wants to do for them, Right, and justifying them, and, and paying the bill, and, and giving them new life. They say, no, 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 I want to do it myself. But here's the problem. No matter how many cards you get, you have insufficient funds. That bill is too high for any of us to pay. So let me ask you today, will you receive God's grace to you today? If you do, it'll change your past, it'll transform your present, and it'll alter your future. And so I pray that you would do that today. And that as you walk in this new way of life, in which you are in Christ, that the Holy Spirit would lead you and guide you and empower you. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you for this, uh, these awesome promises. This promise that in you there is no more condemnation for sin. Lord, thank you that that's true even of us who struggle, that there is no more condemnation for us who are in you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that when you look at us, you see us in your beloved Son, and you say, I am well pleased in you. May we live in the knowledge of that. May we live in the confidence that that brings us. May we live in the relationship that that brings us. And let, let that be the motive for us to want to live lives that please God. And so, Lord, this morning as we go, help us to remember these truths. And I pray for anyone here who that, that caveat speaks to them. They've been trying to do it on their own. They've been trying to relate to you on their own merits. But I pray that today would be the day when they say yes and they receive your grace. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.